0: Welcome to Life Church. We are an X242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. So yeah, we're still in our series looking at the armor of God. We are looking at the 5th I just went through them in my head then. We're looking at the fifth piece of armor today, the helmet of salvation. It's an interesting one, I can tell you. It's interesting for lots of reasons. So what we're going to do is I'm going to talk to you about the helmet and why I think um, Paul uses helmet as an example of salvation. I'm going to talk to you about what salvation means, and then I want to talk to you about what goes into our brains. Yeah, I know. We're in trouble today, everyone. So, a couple of things. Um, when Sarah talked about the breastplate, she had uh, a picture of a, a Roman centurion on the screen and all, all the stuff the Roman centurion would wear. And uh, you know, commentators do agree that it's likely that Paul was in prison when he was writing this. Was certainly under house arrest, and he um, was maybe just writing this stuff down, wanted to encourage the church. He remembers what a Roman centurion is wearing, and he works his way through the armor to say, remember to put these things on. I don't think Paul was, was ranking them. I don't think Paul was saying, hey, this armor is better than this piece of armor, and so let's call this bit the breastplate, and let's call it. I think he was just attaching names to pieces of armor to, rem- to remind us, because remember the, the passage talks about put on the full armor of God. He says it a few times. Puts on the full armor of God. So it isn't like we're ranking bits of armor and saying this bit of armor is better than this bit of armor. That's not what we're here. And we're not really here to discuss the armor particularly because what we're talking about is righteousness, truth, being prepared, having faith, having salvation, living in the hope of that salvation and using God's word. That's what the armor is about. But just to remind us, we need to put this stuff on. We need to put this stuff on. It's there for us, and God has prepared it for us, and He's given it to us, but we need to put this stuff on. <clears throat> just this morning, actually, I was thinking about the helmet. I, I prepared before this morning, just, just so you don't think. I woke up this morning and scrabbled some notes together. But this morning, while I was thinking about it, there's a film that I took Lisa to, to, to the cinema to see a long time ago. It's a long time ago. And... Um, <laughs> And we got about 17 minutes in. It was about 17 minutes into this film, and she turned to me she said, if this continues for much longer, I am leaving. That's what she said. It's a film called Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, it's a war movie. It is, it, and it is brutal. It is absolutely brutal. The first half an hour of this war film are probably the most accurate depictions of war in a film. It is it is absolutely brutal. I'm not recommending that you watch it. All right, but it's a great movie. Um, so she said, if this continues for any much longer, I am leaving <clears throat> because it was brutal. But there's one mit- there's one bit in that opening opening scene. The scene is all the soldiers are landing and they're just getting completely obliterated as they're coming off the boats as they're landing on the beach. They're completely they're they just don't stand a chance at all. And there's this one scene where one soldier is, is hiding uh, against, the, against the sand. He's hunkered down, and a bullet ricochets off his helmet. And everybody turns to look at him. And he takes his helmet off, and he looks at his helmet. He can't believe what just happened. His helmet just saved his life. He takes his helmet off to look at his helmet, and then he gets killed. Because he took his helmet off. Now, when Paul is talking about the helmet of salvation... I don't think Paul is saying, hey guys, before you leave your house, make sure you're saved or you might die. I don't, think, I don't think that's what Paul is saying. That's not what Paul is trying to communicate. Because Paul writes this book, he writes this letter to believers. So there is an expectation and understanding that the people he's writing to are already saved. So why is Paul saying, make sure you put on the helmet of salvation? It's a little bit confusing. If the people he's writing to are already saved, why is he saying, make sure you put on the helmet of salvation? For a number of reasons, I think. There's another passage in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 where Paul talks about the helmet again, but this time he calls it the hope of salvation, our helmet, the hope of salvation. And I think that this is what Paul is referring to. So we'll come back and we'll have a look at what that means. But one of the things about helmets in Roman times is, yeah, it would protect your head, and you would need it to protect your head, because people would be swinging swords at your head, and so you need something to protect all of the the juicy stuff inside your skull. Yeah, You need protection for that kind of stuff. But one of the things a helmet would have, in fact, two things a helmet would have. One, it usually would have some big feathers. Yeah, You may have seen big red plumes, and, and some of them would be really outrageously fancy. And you think, are you a soldier or are you a peacock? We can't decide what is happening here. So some of them would be big and fancy, some of them would be small. And some, some of the helmets would also have a little insignia on. So you'd, you'd see people wearing baseball caps today or hats today and they have a little, little logo of the brand that they're wearing. Yeah. And so the insignia that these Roman soldiers would have on their helmets or the type of plumage they had on their helmets would signify which troop they belonged to. It would identify which which group they belonged to and who their commanding officer was. And I love that. Because our helmet signifies whose we are. Signifies whose we are. And when Paul says puts on the helmet of salvation I think one of the things he's saying is you need to remember whose you are. you need to remember whose you are. Yeah. you know thinking about the helmet and thinking about things people wore on, wore on their head in Bible times immediately transported me back to the Old Testament where Uh, God gave very clear instructions as to how the high priest was to dress. And it was very specific. It's in Exodus 36, I think, if you want to look it up later. Very specific things that a high priest had to wear. Very specific material that their clothes had to be made of. They had to have a sash. They had to have this breastplate. Again, breastplate with loads of jewels on it. It was very, very particular and very specific because each thing that they were wearing represented something important. But the interesting thing was they had to wear something on their head. They had to wear uh, a turban on their head. And on the front of the turban would have a gold plate. Almost like an insignia on a helmet. It would have a gold plate. And on the gold plate were the words, holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. The book of Peter says that we are a royal priesthood. You and I are priests. And so, in some senses, we carry that, that gold plate on our foreheads It says, holy to the Lord. And Paul is saying, you need to remember that. Because if you actually left your house every day with a gold plate attached to your forehead that said, holy to the Lord, I suspect you would live a little bit differently. I suspect we would be a little bit more aware of the things we said, the places we went to, the conversations we engaged with, the things we laughed at, the things we watched. I suspect we would approach things a little differently if we actually had a plate on our heads that said, that everybody could see, that said, holy to the Lord. We would try to be holy to the Lord. But Paul says, put on the helmet. Put on the helmet. Put on the helmet of salvation. Remember whose you are. So salvation is something that we really need to look at, really, because if this is something that Paul is telling us to put on, if this is something that Paul is telling us we need to be aware of, then we need to understand what we're talking about. And if Paul is writing to people who are already saved, then we need to have that clear distinction of what are you trying to say to us Paul, in this passage in Ephesians chapter 6. So, let me talk to you about three aspects of salvation. In fact, what is salvation? The Bible says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everyone. There's no exception to the rule. There's no, most people have sinned, but some people are really good. So they don't count. All have sinned. The Bible makes it very clear that we have all done things that have separated us from God. We fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. I mean, that, at that point, that was a good point to say yes. Because without that point, we are doomed, we are in trouble. So the fact that the verse says, all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, that's a good point. At that point, that's a good, a good moment to say, amen, amen, and to be grateful, because I am totally grateful for that. Because without that, we are in trouble. All have sinned. I remember someone saying, <coughs> nobody says these things anymore because they're a bit cheesy, but someone was explaining that you can, you can go to church every Sunday And the older people will get this. You can go to church every Sunday. You can be part of a community and all of that stuff. And that is brilliant for you to do. But that does not make you someone who follows Jesus. It doesn't. Any more than sitting in McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It doesn't. You're just in a place. You're just in a place. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Salvation is a free gift that is provided for us, but it is something that we need to accept for ourselves is isn't something that your dad can do for you, or your mom can do for you, or your friends can do for you. It is something that every individual needs to accept. (coughs) We need to come to that place where we say, yes, Jesus, I thank you for what you did for me, and I accept that you are who you say you are. If we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, it says. So salvation is a free gift. God makes a way for us when there is no way for us. And maybe when Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation, maybe what he's saying is, remember that you cannot do this by yourself. That if Jesus didn't make a way for you, you'd be doomed. Salvation is recognizing that we're in a state where we could do nothing for ourselves and we reach out for a Savior. So, the three aspects of salvation I want to quickly uh, go through just, just so we have a, an understanding of what we're talking about. Because there's they're saved, we have been saved, there's, we are being saved, and we will be saved. The three aspects to salvation, you see. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10 says this For it is by grace you have been saved, have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Some versions say masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's by grace you have been saved. Jesus made the way. When he died on the cross and, you know, we're starting to ramp up to Easter um, Uh, looking at celebrating everything that Jesus did on our behalf. When he died on the cross for us, he made a way, and it is by that grace that we have been saved. When we made that conscious decision to say, Jesus, I appreciate, I understand, I thank you for what you did in my life, that moment is where we have been saved. I went to church... (sighs) Probably since I was born, my parents would take me to a Presbyterian church every Sunday. <clears throat> and uh, and that was my experience of church. And uh, frankly, I was bored. Uh, it was one of those churches where you'd, you'd stand up and sing a hymn together and you'd sit down. And then there'd be a reading and I could tell you the whole... I could tell you the pattern because I went there so regularly. Then you'd stand up and sing another hymn. There'd be another reading. Uh, then there'd be the announcements then there'd be the offering, you'd stand up and sing another hymn, then somebody would talk, and then you'd stand up and sing another hymn, and then you'd go home. That happened every Sunday morning. And, and it was full of, it wasn't, well, full, there were, there were lots of elderly people there. There wasn't many young people there. Uh, my dad sang in the choir, so he would go every week, and uh, we had no choice, so we would go every week. And that was my experience of church. But around the corner from where I lived, there was a Pentecostal church, <laughs> and they had a Sunday school that they ran on a Sunday afternoon, and I would go to that and I loved it. Because, well, because it was Sunday school, it was aimed at children. So obviously, I was getting understanding the things that were happening. And I loved the stories, I loved Bible stories when I was little. And in Sunday school, one of the things they would do is they would do a season of stories and then it'd have a quiz and they'd ask you questions about the stories. And I would win every quiz because that's how my brain works. I remember stories. So I had a bit of a reputation in this Sunday school for winning the quizzes, and, uh, but not being a Christian. Yeah? So, so you can imagine how that was going down in the Pentecostal church. Who is this kid who keeps winning all the quizzes but doesn't come to this church and, as far as we know, isn't a Christian? So I went to that Pentecostal church a lot every, every Sunday for Sunday school. And then, of course, as I grew up with the people in my Sunday school class uh, they invited me to go to youth, and I would go to youth every Tuesday night, and, uh, and it was great. I was enjoying it, and then somebody talked about what Jesus did. And I realized that even though I had been going to church my whole life up to that point, that even though every Sunday I'd been going to church my whole life up to that point, and I knew so many Bible stories, and, and I thought I was a good person. I, didn't, I was a good student at school. I never got into trouble really much I never got caught that's probably a better way to say that I was a I was a good boy but I realized that actually as far as goodness is concerned it's like filthy rags in comparison to the goodness and the grace that God has bestowed on us and I realized that I needed to make a decision I was 14 I remember the night well I was 14, I was scared witless, so I thought, I'm going to have to make a decision because this all makes sense, and nobody's told me about this before. And I remember making the decision, I remember praying, I remember saying, Jesus, I recognize what you've done for me, and I want to follow you. I remember that. And that was, you have been saved. So that was when I was 14, which seems like a million years ago. I'm not that old. But it seems like a long time ago. And that's that aspect of salvation, that moment where we encounter and understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us. But there's also 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says this, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, if we are saved, why now in this verse is Paul talking about us being saved? It's two big words. It's two theological words. The first word is justification. That's the moment where we recognize Jesus died on our behalf. This bit here, being saved, is another big word, sanctification. It's where we're being changed, where the Spirit of God is changing us, working on us. Developing us, there's a verse that says, "Work out your salvation with fear and trembling." That used to be on on the wall in the Presbyterian church that I used to go to. I remember thinking, "This that is terrifying. What does that mean? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling." But I think it's this is what it is. It's sanctification. It's I know I have been saved. But now I need to live in what Jesus died for. I need to live in the things that he died to give me. I need to live in a way that represents him well. I need to ensure that he is working on every aspect of my life. Not just that one moment where I said a prayer, put my hand up or whatever it was we did. We are being saved. (coughs) God is at work in you. I want you to know that. God is at work in you. He is. He says He would. He said He would be. Philippians chapter 1, verse 16 says, He's able to complete what He started. He's able to complete the work He started in you. And I don't know what you're like, but I know that I need work. I do. My wife would probably say I need a lot of work. (laughs) I need work. And I'm grateful that I am being saved. That the things that Jesus did on the cross for me are being worked through in my life. I'm prayerful that, that this year, if I looked at who I was, and I looked back at myself last year, that I have grown somewhat. That, that my understanding of who God is, my, my expression of who God is, the way I live, the things I say, how, I, how I, uh, I live my life, that all of those things have changed a little bit because I'm living in what Jesus did for me. I am being saved. And then there's Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Paul says this, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Now, out of context, these verses, you think, I don't have a clue what is going on. Are we saved? We have been saved. We're being saved. And now we're talking about salvation is closer. Where, where are we? And that's the point I'm making. There is that moment where we have been saved if we have trusted Jesus with our lives. There is the, the present where we're living, where we are being saved, where he is changing us. And then there is the hope that we have to look forward to when Jesus comes again. When we will be saved. When all of this will be done and we will be saved. The Bible says there will be no more tears. There will be no more calories. said That's in the message. (laughs) It's the loudest hallelujah this morning, Rebecca. It's hysterical. (laughs) That is the hope we have. And that is the hope that I think Paul is talking to us about when he says put on the helmet of salvation. Recognize that you are being saved and that you allow Jesus to work in you. And also remember that when you leave your house, when you engage with life, that you are doing so with hope. You have a hope. You have a hope. I can't remember which book it was that I read recently, but the author was talking about Um, Christians, and how actually, and I love this phrase, as people who have a hope, on a day-to-day basis, we should be people who carry a sense of, in fact, the way he said it is, we should be a non-anxious presence in our world. We should be non-anxious presence in our world. Because what do we have to worry about? We have a hope. We have a hope. This is a grim illustration, so I apologize, but um, I think it helps. <laughs> 1950, <laughs> animals die in this illustration. All right. in 19 In the 1950s, um, Professor Kurt Richter, his name was, he performed an experiment with rats, because you know that's it's better to do it with rats than with people, I guess. So he performed an experiment with rats, <clears throat> and I don't know exactly what he was trying to do. But he noticed something about rats. And so as these sciencey people, that's what I'm calling them, as these sciencey people tend to do, they think, Oh, this is interesting, we will pursue this line of of study. And so he had these rats in a bowl of water. He put the rats in a bowl of water and they would swim around for a bit and then they would drown. So within an hour, even though there were rats that he'd got from the wild that were used to water, I guess, he'd put them in the water, they'd swim around for a while, and then they'd die thought, well, okay. Not quite sure why you're doing that, Professor Kurt. But then he had another set of rats. and They would swim around in the water. And just when he thought they had enough, he would take them out. And then he'd put them back in. And the rats that he took out and put back in would stay alive for 24 hours. And he thought, why, why is this? Is it because I gave them a rest, a little rest? I took them out and then I put them back in. Why do they... Why do they carry on for another 24 hours when the other rats died within an hour? And he decided it was this. They had hope. They had hope. They experienced that moment where someone took them out and then put them back in. And they thought, this could happen again. And that's what kept them alive for much longer than the other rats. You cannot... I know we're talking about rats here, but let's talk about humans. You cannot underestimate the power that hope has in your life. We have a hope. We have a hope that Jesus is working in us now and that Jesus will return again. That is a powerful hope. And we need to remember that when we leave our houses every day, when we put on the helmet of salvation, we're living in a place that says we have a hope. We have a hope. We have a hope. And so when you leave your house and you put on the helmet of salvation, metaphorically, please don't get a real helmet. Well, if you want to, you can, yeah? But I didn't tell you to do that. And you put on the helmet of salvation. It reminds you of whose you are. So you're thinking, I know who I am, and I know whose I am. And also reminds you that you have a hope, that you live in hope. We need to live in hope, because it's the truth. And if you've got your belt on, that's fine, because that's the truth, and we live in hope. Okay. The final thing I want to talk about, as far as the helmet is concerned, is I'm just interested that he talks about the helmet of salvation. Because the helmet protects the head, and the head holds the brain, and the brain is where our thoughts are. And I have to say this, everything that goes into our brain should go through the helmet of salvation. Has to go through the helmet of salvation. Because we can let some mad stuff into our heads. And not just let some mad stuff into our heads and maybe this is just me, we can generate some mad stuff in our heads. yeah. It's not even letting the stuff in. We can make the stuff up ourselves. We can. And all sorts of mad thoughts can happen in our heads that aren't true, and are anything to do with the hope of salvation that we have, or the hope that we have that Jesus is working in us on a day-to-day basis. We can have that sense of discouragement, that sense of doubt, That sense of really being down on who we are. Of imagining what other people are thinking about us. I do this thing where I have conversations with people in my head. Yeah? And uh, I win every argument. It's great. (laughs) But I have conversations with people in my head. It isn't real. But I I know that I can do that. And sometimes... I must have said this before. Sometimes Lisa will say, what are you saying? And I'm just saying no out loud because I realize what I'm doing. I realize that my head is doing this thing, or I'm having this conversation, or I'm thinking about something that I know does not align with who God is or what God God wants for my life, and I have to say no out loud. No. Just no. No. Maybe now instead of saying no, I'll pretend to put a helmet on to go through the motions to remind me I need to have the helmet of salvation on. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Transformation comes by the renewing of our minds. But how do we renew our minds? How do we prevent these things from getting into our heads? Martin Luther wrote um, a a kind of a, a commentary on I think it was on the Lord's Prayer. And he got to the bit where he's talking about temptation. And he writes this bit about temptation. There's just one bit that I want want us to focus on, but I'll read the whole thing so you get the context. He's talking about temptation. He says, Thus you see that temptation can be avoided by no one, but resistance may be made. And with prayer and recourse to divine aid, we can put ourselves in readiness to meet such designs. In the book of an old father, we read that a young brother expressed a desire to be rid of his thoughts. Thereupon, the old father said, Dear brother, you cannot prevent the birds from flying in the air over your head, but you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair. We can wrestle with thoughts all day long, but we have to recognize that having the thought and owning the thought are two different things. That having the thought and giving the thought a place to rest are two different things. And so we need to have that awareness that I will not take ownership of this thought because this thought does not line up with who God says I am or who God says I should be. So I will not take ownership of this thought. And if you have to, like me, say no out loud, then say no out loud. In fact, I suggest you do whatever it takes to not allow those things to become um, embedded in your thinking. It's fine. Listen, don't feel guilty when a thought pops into your head. That's okay. Thoughts pop into our heads. What you need to do is not let it stay. You say, in the front door, straight out the back door, thank you, goodbye thought. Do not let the thought stay. Paul helps us with thinking, actually. And I'm going to close with this. Paul helps us with thinking when he writes to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, just uh, pop that up for me. It's the amplified version, which is a great version. (laughs) Have I said that before? It's a great version. He says, finally, brothers, and he gives us a list of things that we can think about. These are things that are okay to think about. He says, Whatever is true, how do we know if it's true? Well, hopefully we're wearing the belt of truth, and we're reading God's Word, and we're allowing the spirit of truth to confirm to us things that are true. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's Word, that's important. Right and confirmed by God's Word. Not whatever I think is right, and I've found some scripture to make it look like it's God's Word. Those are two different things. Whatever is right and confirmed by God's Word. Whatever is pure and wholesome. Whatever is lovely and brings peace. Whatever is admirable and of good repute. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise... Think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. There's a list of things that we can think about. There's a list of things that we can focus on. And so when you have that thought that's in your head, you think, oh, oh, I'm not sure. Well, make a little post-it note. (laughs) Take your post-it note out. Uh, Is it true? Is it honorable? Worthy of praise. Is it right? Go down the list. Is is it any of those things? And if it isn't, goodbye thought. Hit the road thought. Because you do not belong in my head. Paul the Apostle said, put on the helmet of salvation. Remember whose you are. Remember the hope that we have. And be careful about the things that you let into your head. Be careful about the things that you let into your head. If you're making excuses for the things that you're letting into your head, you need to stop letting those things into your head. There shouldn't be anything that you need to make an excuse for. There shouldn't be any yes, but. Yes, but. Yeah, but. If you have to do that, then don't let those things in your head. Let's pray. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchority.com.